these songs were were well fought for the ones that lost needed to lose and the ones that won needed to win most of us have two lives the life we live and the unlived life within us we all have our own road to walk nothing's perfect and there's going to be a price for everything there are no rules welcome to the resistance Featuring meaningful conversations. I think I'm grieving the death of part of me. It's not about being the star and being seen. It's about being that explore that very space between who we are and who we say we want to be. I'm your host, Matt Connor. Jay, tell me this. Have you ever apologized for apologizing? I have to honestly say, Matt, I don't do that. It's not- <laughs> uh, you've never been. Okay, here's the scenario I'm talking about. Because I've done this more times than I could ever count. I mean, I mean, when I say that, I mean like on a weekly basis. Yes. I will, I will be in a situation and I'll say, "Oh, my apologies," or, "Or I'm sorry," and then they'll say, "Oh, don't worry about it," or "No need to apologize," and then I'll say, "Oh, I'm sorry," like I'm sorry for being sorry. <laughs> you like you've never once done that. No, I actually, I think maybe I, I go on the opposite end where I just don't even realize. How even if I've done something that I should apologize for <laughs> that I usually it's after the fact, because typically I just don't I'm just maybe I'm dense and aloof. But uh, it's one, my wife, actually, she's very like conscious about what she's saying when she's saying it. And I think that's why she she does that sometimes. But I'm not very conscious about what I'm saying. It seems like <laughs> to other people until after the fact where I'm like, I I shouldn't have said that. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm not sure which I'd rather be. Like, yours doesn't sound all that great I'm either. I'm kind of the jerk, um, though. You know, I, I come off a jerk. You're like, yeah. <laughs> oh, come, yeah. On. <laughs> come on. Today's conversation is with Zach Williams of the band The Lone Bellow. And along with Brian and Kaneen, Zach, uh, they've put out a new album, which is just so beautiful. It's really exquisite in some places, called Half Moon Light. And our conversation today is kind of all about this tension of self-expression. And for me, when talking with Zach, it was a real challenge to listen to the way he fought for his perspective, the way he fought for how he wants things, even within the band, and the way he's learned to say what he wants. And here I am over here going, Oh, I'm sorry for being sorry. Like I'm, I'm so worried sorry. about what you think of me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. like I, 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 I want to be more confident. A big part of my resistance is people pleasing mm. and letting the expectations of others dictate what I create or what I do. And so it was refreshing slash challenging to talk to an artist who is so sure of himself that he's even willing to like he says, have screaming matches within the band to fight for what he thinks is true about his perspective. Are you, are you sorry for feeling that way, Matt? <laughs> I, I am. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for this whole intro. I'm sorry, folks, for this whole uh, intro. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's true. I mean, I think I've I've seen and met artists, you know, that deal with the same thing you do. And the whole process is so anxiety ridden because you are navigating your internal. You want to get what's inside of you out. And you don't want you want to take other people's consider or their opinions and what they like and what they don't like and into consideration, maybe to a, I mean, to a fault to where it's almost yes. it's like you will give up something that you're actually really, really want 
so that someone else doesn't feel like you, you're stepping on their toes or disappointing them. And then on the other side, like I've met the other artists who keep going in a direction no matter what and take very little input. And by the end, you listen to it and you're like, oh, man. And they even, I don't know, maybe those artists typically think it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, like, I mean, you're right. You're right. And and it is, you know, it's, it's each scenario is its own thing. I, I just found myself really both challenged by and inspired by this conversation. It takes a lot that of, we have it takes today. a lot of maturity to actually have passion and give ground. That's another level of you're fighting yourself and you're fighting others and you're sober enough to look in the fray and go, wait, they might actually have what's better than me. And I think that is like an art form in itself. I mean, that's almost like the 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 warrior poet like <laughs> fighting bravely and sure. giving ground and knowing exactly when to do both. I mean, that is that's a that's pretty mature. I, I, I really appreciated what Zach was talking about with that because he's basically in any creative process, you are caring you are caring for your baby and you got to trust other people to care for it and help nurture it too and that is that's so hard to do as an artist i feel like for sure yeah well i think that's what makes their new album so wonderful when he says you know these songs are well fought for like the ones we fought for deserve to win and the ones that that didn't deserve to lose and so that lets you know just how much they cared for their proverbial baby like you said and so yeah i guess that's why i love it yeah we certainly hope you identify with the conversation we certainly appreciate zach for his time um we hope you enjoy this episode of the resistance here is zach williams of the lone bellow for those who are unaware of stephen pressfield Pressfield is an author of a book called The War of Art. It's actually sort of our source inspirational material for the podcast. So, Zach, I'd love just to read a couple lines and have you riff on that, and uh, we'll see where it goes over the next few minutes. So, Pressfield says this, Most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. And between the two stands the resistance. Zach, I'd love to know for you what form Resistance is taking on the verge of another album release, or even personally in, in other creative ways, whatever that strikes you. I think at some of my base levels, I'm a I struggle with like people pleasing, and that can be with my band, that can be like during a show. It's something that I have to be aware of. So I think. Uh, I needed to figure out some things going on inside me that would easily lead me to to making something that I didn't want to make once it was all said and done and not getting carried away just in the process of of creating the music um, you know every single sound that you record every single emotion that you try to capture it all can be tied back into one thing in someone's soul for me, that can easily be some sort of fear. I started writing music in like 2003, and it was a very cathartic thing. I was living down at this um, down at this hospital called the Shepherd Center down in Atlanta, and my wife had had this accident where she had broke her neck, and she was diagnosed a quadriplegic, and I was uh, 
going through the classes, mm. just like how to bathe her and feed her and take care of her. And my buddy Caleb that I mentioned was at the hospital with me a lot. And I started journaling. He was like, man, you should, uh, you should try to make these into something that you can sing and learn how to play the guitar and sing at the same time. And just find an open mic close to the hospital and just see what happens. Just like, so that's what I started doing. I, I started having this like beautiful experience where I would go down to this lame open mic at a Starbucks <laughs> and I would just ball crying in front of a bunch of strangers. And it was this like pure cathartic thing. And then I moved to New York and then started playing the bars and, you know, all of a sudden, something that at first was so fundamental to a transition time in my life and, and something that was so important to me, you start getting all these people around you that mean well, but they're like, hey, you should do this like this. And you should, you know, start thinking about like a career in this and you should mm -hmm. change the way that you write or you're writing courses that are way too long or you try to stuff too much information in one song to, and all this, all this stuff. And when you have these like people pleasing things inside you, it's really hard to start protecting those like guttural feelings that, that led you in the first place. So that book really helped me kind of get back to those fundamental things that, that started me in music in the first place. And, uh, it was, it was beautiful. I mean, it, it, you can boil it all the way down to like the way that, that I decided to deliver these songs. And it was so great working with, with Aaron Desner again, because we already had like such a strong working relationship and friendship. And he was like, man, I've noticed in the past few records, you guys sing these big high notes all the time. He was like, I'm clipping your wings. You're not going to do that this time unless, <laughs> unless like you absolutely have to, or you're going to die. And I was like, okay. So it reminded me almost of like, I'm not like, I'm not saying that I'm like Michael Jackson, but like <laughs> it reminded me of that, um, that documentary on, um, who was it? Who was his producer? Was it Clive, Clive Davis? Like Quincy Jones or uh, Quincy Jones. Yeah. Watched this Quincy Jones documentary around this around the same time that I was reading The War of Art, when Quincy was making Michael's first solo record, he had him sing way lower on purpose, and I was like, "Whoa, that's really brave!" Because hmm. Michael probably was always like, "I can hit these high notes. This is what separates me from other singers." Sure. So I felt like Aaron was doing that same thing with me. It was like. We're pulling you down here. It was scary. It still is scary. We haven't released the record yet, obviously. <laughs> Zach, how did you? How do you know? Like you're talking about, I have to work on my people pleasing, and then here comes a person saying, "This is what we're going to do. I'm going to clip your wing." I mean, that could be an example of people pleasing someone like Aaron. Well, I already, I already wanted to do it. I already had something inside me that was like show after show after show you, you sing these songs that you love but you have these big moments in the vocals where it's like all right this is the part where like 
I've got to give the audience what they want. I've got to get hit this ungodly high note <laughs> and do this. And so for me, when I went in to make this new record, I already wanted to do something fresh, something mm. different, just for my personal journey. So I immediately, even though it scared me when he said it, I really clicked. I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I want to do that too. So it wasn't some out of the blue pleasing someone's random thing. It was it like there's an internal compass that that like affirmed like what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think I wrestled with it for a couple weeks while we were up there. And while we were recording a song, I would like wander in with a cup of coffee and be like, Man, Aaron, are you sure this is the right key? You sure we shouldn't raise it? I don't know. <laughs> and he was just like, I'm sure, man. And since we had already worked together before and I knew the kind of things that made him tick creatively, I just already had that trust where I felt like he was trying to pull something out of me that I needed help with. Mm. And the band and Brian and Kaneen felt the same way. They were like, Whoa, this is okay. That's, that's kind of our like bread and butter. That's yeah. like what we do. And he was like, no, not this time. And we all wrestled with it. And after we started living with the songs for a couple weeks in the studio and really getting down to it, the song started making us feel a different way than I think if we, if we would have changed the keys, he, he ended up pulling another type of emotion out of us. What, like, what is that emotion? Well, I think <clears throat> for us, you know, I've said in interviews before, like, oh, we have these this pretty thick material uh, in our lyrics, and we usually just hide it in the way we sing, and we hide it in, in the instrumentation. You know, like, for instance, there's a song called Time's Always Leaving that we did, and when it was just a poem, and you're just reading the words... You can tell that it's like me being afraid of like dying. But when you put a four on the four backbeat on it and you, you put a big screaming guitar and you put it up to B minor and I'm singing my face off, it's like, whoa, this is a fun song. This should be the single. And it's like, yeah, but <laughs> you should listen to the words because, you know, they're so this time we wanted to make the music that matched the lyrics instead of doing the old country move where you know let's say like johnny cash cry 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 you got that like really simple and then it's just like this like train going kind of beat but if you ever sit down and read the words it's like this person was not in a healthy relationship on either side this is like no bueno is is uh when you're in the you said you needed a couple weeks and trusting Aaron leaning into that trust was there a turning point when you're listening to something in the mix when you're in the studio where suddenly you realize uh I I get it and I like it yeah I can remember the exact moment uh the turning point so the way we recorded this record is um we did all of the vocals first and we picked the tempo according to how we wanted to sing the words. So we did vocals 
before we even did like drums and we've never done that before. Usually we like do drums and bass first and then we lay on top of that. We wanted to do it different this time. So this time when the three part harmony started matching with the stuff that Josh Kaufman was doing on guitar with JT Bates on the drums and his like super weird, beautiful way of drumming. That's when the glue started happening. When the vocals weren't just like sitting alone, when they were like with this other instrumentation, I was like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. You know, with, with the shift in maybe sound or, you know, because earlier you called it your bread and butter. And, and I just thought, yeah, that, that's it. That's your hallmark of these great choruses with the, the harmonies that just kind of overwhelm you. I'm a big fan of those songs. You know, I'm assuming I'm hardly the only one. So, so in that way, is there any worry on your part about a response to an album like this that is a curveball? Are you kind of over that, having been through several albums? So really, that book really helped me with that exact thing. And I think it's so easy to go in making a record, thinking about what are people going to say when they hear the record. And I'm just sick of it. <laughs> It's not how I started making music. It's something that happens, I think, to everyone along the way. You know, I was listening to um, this beautiful Malcolm Gladwell does this podcast yeah. called Broken Record, and he interviewed the guy from Vampire yeah. Weekend. Again, I was like a month out from making the record, and I listened to that interview and. That interview, they recorded it like six months before his record came out. And he was just, he was just talking about how he's wrestled with that. You don't realize how much you worry about how much, what, what people say about music. And it's not even that it's like tied in with how well the record might do if you sell, if it helps you sell more tickets at live shows or whatever. It's just this like terrible fear that can come over you, man, I don't want any bad reviews. I want to make everybody mm. happy. And I think that I needed to process that fear before I went into the studio this time. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did. And I'm not saying that I'm like totally over it or anything, but just like hearing that interview was huge for me. It's just little things like that, man. You just like hear these other artists talk about the same struggle and then reading this book and it's like, whoa, resistance lives all around us. And we're literally trying to like press against it on purpose. Zach, do you find that like what you're talking about, some of these fears I find in my own life, if I follow those fears to the conclusion, okay, what if some of the reviews are bad? What if a certain percentage of the, you know, of, of the, of the audience doesn't like this particular turn or, or sometimes I find if I follow those fears to their logical conclusion, it reduces their power because I realize, Oh, it, okay. Then it happens. And then like, that's the worst thing. I guess the fear itself is larger than yeah. the actual manifestation of the end of that fear. Absolutely. And I mean, I think one thing that I want to point out, there are these like huge, beautiful choruses and like vocal parts on this record. And the only way that those made it on the record, they had to like fight for their life to make it on the record. Whereas before they were the foundation of making a record. 
so I'm excited about that. I feel I feel like they they had to yeah they had to fight to be there. So it's not that they're not there. We just didn't lean on them. They only happened if 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 they happened naturally, and there was just nothing else we wanted to do. But to to get back to your point, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like I remember, I, I gosh, on the last record, I got some terrible review by some really big paper. And I think it was the first time we ever got like a ouch, that really hurt kind of review. And I remember I was so pissed. I felt so misunderstood. And I was like, no, I want to call that guy and clarify. Like, that's what that song is about. You have no idea what you're talking about. And I put all those <laughs> those visuals about people walking throughout the record on purpose. And it wasn't... Yeah, I wanted to do all this stuff. And then like a couple of days in, I was like, Man, no, I want to spend my time doing something else. That's I'm I'm not gonna reverse this train. Like so yeah, I, I think that goes along with what you were saying. Zach, I want to back up just real fast. You you mentioned at the at the start of the show that really just the main resistance for you is about people pleasing. And you led with the band as the example. You said you said I struggle with people pleasing even with the band and then you listed some other areas and i thought that was a really interesting point to make that even within the trio there are issues of people pleasing because i would think that would be a good thing you know that within the band there are these exchanges and we compromise on what we want and and of, and of course i'm sure that's at work but you're also it seems like there's the good side that you would identify but maybe also the shadow side of people pleasing even within this you know intimate known group that has worked together to create these you know great albums what were you identifying there that's negative so when you're you know when you're in a band and you're with people all the time you i like for everybody to just like be content and happy and thriving so sometimes i just like don't push back or sometimes someone will write something and they're having a bad day. So you're just like, yeah, okay. But it sucked. But then, you know, you get to the studio and they're like, I want to record that song. And it's really hard to be like, why? And then you have to fight with why. And then you go back and forth with, I don't think it lines up with the the vision of this record or I don't get it song doesn't make any sense to me doesn't do anything for me and that's really that's really difficult saying those kinds of things to like your best friends especially when it's what you've dedicated your your life's work to i think kaneen said it really well when we were doing like the write-up for this new record i can't quote her verbatim but she said something like these these songs were were well fought for the ones that lost needed to lose and the ones that won needed to win. Like me and Brian were having like shouting matches, just screaming <laughs> at each other about um, ways that melodies should go. Like, I mean, there's a song called, um, a song called Martingales. We, I mean, we were just like screaming back and forth with each other, super <laughs> pissed, but the song ended up being better because of that. You know, Hey, by the way, you, you were mentioning Martin Gales. If you're yelling, he's yelling. Does 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 Kaneen play the the role of mediator there? Does 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 Aaron 
she wasn't there for that one. That one happened like a year before we made the record. I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's me and Kaneen. It's usually, it, we all fight with each other when we're, when we're making stuff. Sometimes it's like lightning in a bottle and it's like, bam. And you're crying at the end of writing a song. You're like, that is it. That's exactly it. Other times you're questioning each other's abilities. Can you finish your, your Martin Gales story? How did, how did you, how did you end that particular song? You know, we started with this idea where like Brian heard some lady in a restaurant say to a stranger, like, like, if yesterday's too heavy, put it down. And Brian was like, Oh, I really like that. And he came in with this chorus idea. And I was at this other place. I was working on this like completely different poetry about pink flamingos and pink flamingos wearing martingales and martingales were these things that people put on show horses to make their necks arch down and how like a pink flamingo's neck is already arched and all the things that people do to themselves that they don't need to do. Like they're beautiful anyway, kind of thing. We decided to fit these two ideas together in the process of that. Yeah. He was just like, what on earth are you talking about? And I was like, it's, it's visuals. It's, it's my, it's how my brain works. And, you know, we just like, we just, I think we were at the end of like a three week European tour at some super crappy, weird Airbnb pouring down rain in London. We were just like, ah, we started working on it. And Brian was like, man, I've always wanted to write a song that had like that free Willy vibe. And I was like, yeah, man, that piano part. And he's like, and then like the music, the music of it started relaxing the lyric writing of it. And we were like, oh, this is, I like singing this. So we didn't, we didn't kill each other. I mean, he's a lot, he's a lot larger than me. He could, he would he win. could take me out pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. 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 We've, we've known that since we were 18 years old, Brian would, That's Brian cool. would win, but thankfully he's just a big kind polar bear. <laughs> I love it. Luke, agree, Luke agrees with you. <laughs> Luke agrees. You've been listening to The Resistance. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate us on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And for more information and further episodes, you can find us at listentotheresistance.com. Engineering, production, and additional music by Jake Kirkpatrick. My name is Matt Connor, and I'm your host. Thanks for listening.